So uh, first to Bruce Shapiro, our voice from America, as he continues his autopsy of the body politic. Uh, And that, of course, stars a certain gentleman by the name of Alex Jones. Oh, indeed. Mr. Jones had a very, very bad week. Um, You know, we've been following Alex Jones, the purveyor and host of the InfoWars website uh, for for quite a while. He already had one defamation lawsuit uh, that he lost down in Texas brought by, uh, by families in the Sandy Hook massacre. But last week, Uh, a jury here in Connecticut, a few miles up the road from where I'm speaking to you now, um, and a few miles also from Sandy Hook Elementary School, where in 2012, all those kids and teachers were murdered, um, found Jones, uh, found that he had to pay nearly a billion dollars in damages uh, for his defamatory statements online, claiming that you know, it was all a fake that Sandy Hook uh, parents were all crisis actors um, as a engine, as a purveyor, not only of Sandy Hook myths, but of the entire fake news industry. Um, this was a, a, a career ending big hit for Alex Jones, but also um, really a major a, a major blow against the impunity of uh, toxic speech on the internet, I think. This is probably the most consequential event of the last week in, in terms of long-term changing of the world. And not just because it holds Alex Jones accountable for his speech, but because it raises to prominence a debate that is um, simmering in the background over whether online platforms themselves should be part of the uh, line of accountability for abuses of speech. Now, the Supremes have agreed to review the uh, protections social media providers enjoy. Indeed, and this is really basic. One of the reasons, the largest reason that that social media like Twitter Facebook have become the toxic free-for-all that they have is is something called uh, Section 230, uh, 260, sorry, of the Communications Decency Act, a law passed back in 1996, which um, is unique to the United States and has given internet companies nearly free reign. Section 260 um, essentially exempts online platforms uh, for accountability for uh, the words or actions um, of their users. So, you know, commenters on social media sites, tweets, and so on, so on, under this part of the American internet law, um, there is zero accountability. All the platforms, Twitter, YouTube, are protected. Now, a kind of unlikely alliance of of right and left um, have gone to the Supreme Court and asking it to reconsider um, whether that 
laws being applied correctly and understood correctly. They're rather different interpretations. Uh, you know, liberals, I think, would like to see uh, the Communications Decency Act uh, weakened so that platforms can be accountable. Um, the right, uh, the MAGA right anyway, uh, which is actually bringing this particular challenge, um, wants to see exactly the opposite, wants to see company, uh, companies' content moderation policies eliminated under this law, wants to see the law greatly strengthened in a way so that, for example, people like Alex Jones, people like former President Trump can't be kicked off of platforms. Um, we're so we're about to have a big debate in this country over the future of internet speech, of hate speech, of 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 fake news on the internet, and the uh, whether it's a you know, wild west libertarian free for all, or whether there are going to be any guide law, guide rails, as there would be under European or indeed uh, Australian law. Let's go back to the obnoxious, uh, the obnoxious Jones. Okay, a billion dollars and counting. There's not much chance he'll ever pay it, I guess, apart from the fact that, uh, well, he will appeal. But he's, I mean, he's just outrageous. He acknowledges, he's forced to acknowledge in court that the shooting was 100% real and to express regrets. But then... Ten minutes later, he's telling an audience that people are right to raise questions about the massacre. Right. Well, and he he oh he you know he throughout his throughout the uh, trial up in Waterbury, Connecticut, he's always danced on that head of the pin with his very big clodhopper feet. Right. Uh, he claimed, well, he was just repeating questions that people have. He wasn't. You know, passing these theories along himself. It's an evasive strategy that did not work with the Connecticut jury. Uh, he actually didn't even bother contesting the, the defamation verdict. This trial was all about the damages. Um, now, in, a, in an additional feat of dancing, he is trying to escape responsibility for paying any of it by filing for bankruptcy uh, and uh, you know, protecting his company, InfoWars, from having its assets attached forever. Um, I don't think that's going to work, but a federal bankruptcy court is, is where the next phase of this drama will go. Uh, the federal bankruptcy judge looking at his case has already um, expressed great skepticism has already said that he, you know, is, is dubious about, uh, what, uh, about the reorganization claims that, um, that Jones is bringing to court. But it, look, the family's involved here. And, you know, I should say this is, this one is for me personal. Uh, Sandy Hook, Connecticut is a short drive up the road from here. It's a town that I know well, that I covered many years ago. Uh, one of the teachers who died. Lauren Rousseau was the daughter of two colleagues in Connecticut journalism whom I know. I know some of the politicians involved in this. Uh, it, it's a still gaping wound in the consciousness of this community. Um, none of the families, I think, expect to collect a whole lot of money from Jones. They know that this is going to go on for a long time. But the message of accountability that this sends 
offers a brief hope in this moment when from Washington to the Philippines uh, to to Australia and Russia, uh, social media platforms are being used uh, to accelerate abusive speech, to accelerate um, myths and lies and wild conspiracy theories. On to Trump and the uh, House January 6 committee. It's voted to subpoena him. Will he front? Speaking of not being able to collect, <laughs> uh, you know, it, as the uh, kind of cliffhanger season ending moment of the January 6th drama, the committee last week did vote to subpoena Trump to appear. Um, you know, I think part of uh, there's a distant hope that the former president will decide that he he can't uh, can't miss a good wrestling match, that he can't stay out of the limelight. But I don't think that'll be the case. He's already calling, you know, the whole inquiry illegitimate. Um, however, it's a lawful subpoena. And while this too may drag on in court for a while, um, there is every reason to think that if the Democrats maintain their majority in Congress and therefore the committee still exists, um, the former president could be found in, in contempt of Congress. But Bruce, that, that's looking very unlikely, isn't it? More likely scenario is victory in the midterms, unbelievable as far as the wider world's concerned, and then the whole thing is just torn up. Well, if Republicans take the House, and remember this is the House of Representatives that's convened this committee, they will almost certainly disband the, the investigations committee or turn it in a perverted direction, given the sheer number of election deniers among the Republicans running for the House this year. Um, and, you know, so the stakes in the House majority are are, are very high in terms of this, this as in everything else. I would say that the outcome, though, at this point is um, wildly uncertain. If you read the tea leaves about not only the House but, but the Senate, what you find, first of all, are a huge number of races that are being described as the pivotal races. You know, we constantly are looking to Florida and, uh, and, and uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania, which all of which you and I have talked about as the key swing states. But if you drill down in races all over the country uh, in both the House and Senate, there are weird, unexpected outcomes uh, that seem on the verge of happening. In, uh, in Iowa, for example, Senator Chuck Grassley, Charles Grassley, who's 90-something, has been in that office forever, um, is an institution in the state, uh, is on the cusp of losing to a Democrat who ha has not held a Senate seat, no Democrat has held a Senate seat in Iowa in um, some years. There are House districts in New York State that are up in the air that would normally be Republican-leaning. There are also uh, Democrats who seem vulnerable. This is wild and woolly, and the, we're not clear how accurate the polling will be, um, in part because, you know, in an off-year election, you don't know who is actually going to vote. Are voters sufficiently motivated on either side of the fence? And also the priorities 
that voters are bringing to this keep shifting in the polls. There, you know, a couple weeks ago, um, the Democrats were looking very strong in the House races. Um, the uh, issues like abortion uh, and the state of democracy were riding high. Now there's a new New York Times Siena poll just out that finds that even though most voters are now in despair, abject despair about the state of American democracy, on the one hand, on the other hand, they're saying, well, it's actually the economy that's their main issue and they're mad at President Biden about it. Um, and then there are other polls at the state level which show rather different things that show um, women, moderate, female moderate and unaffiliated voters um, still very motivated by abortion. It's a very confused uh, and murky picture. We are really going to be on pins and needles going into this election in two weeks' time. So there are polls in conflict, but uh, generally, how's Joe tracking? In general, Joe is not doing well. Uh, in general, candidate the Democratic candidates are trying to keep their distance from him in various ways. We saw this last week in Georgia, where uh, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democratic senator, was debating Herschel Walker, the uh, Trump-endorsed um, slightly crazy Republican voting against him, <laughs> more than slightly crazy. And Warnock was being very careful to um, distance himself from Joe Biden throughout that debate, was not associating himself with Biden's achievements. The White House has had a very hard time in recent weeks selling the impact of the inflation uh, Reduction Act, formerly the Build Back Better Act, which is in fact, at a, at a factual level, an enormous uh, intervention in the economy, an enormous shifting of resources, um, one of the greatest in a generation. It just has a hard time tracking. Gas prices have come down from their peak of a couple months ago, but they may be going up and people are still worried about that. Food prices as a result of gas prices are, are still high. There's still supply chain shortages in all kinds of stuff that is causing jitters. And that is not helping Joe Biden, at least from what we can tell in the polls. But again, it's unclear in this picture who is going to be motivated to vote and why. We know that the, you know, the, 23% of voters who are the hardline MAGA Republicans will probably vote in large numbers. We know that progressive Democrats, activists, strong Democratic base uh, in states like this one in Connecticut and New York will turn out. We don't know about those crucial suburban and unaffiliated voters who have been wavering back and forth will say they, you know, they don't like Trump. They don't like uh, the MAGA Republicans. They hated January 6th, but they're worried about the economy. Or they'll say uh, they don't normally vote Democrat, but they're worried about abortion rights. There's a whole zone of uncertainty about how motivated those voters will be. And that's really what we're going to have to be looking at. Nonetheless, it's a weekly tale of woe overwhelming overwhelms me and uh, as an atheist I may be forced to pray. Bruce Shapiro, Exec Director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. 
G'day potties, if you can't get enough of Canberra politics and your missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>